Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Um, I just want to share with you. So I'm actually a big fan. How many of you guys like history and learning about sociology and history and all these things? So I'm a big fan of culture and history and all these things. And I, and I love learning about the movements of people and people migrations and, and, and these kinds of things. And, and whenever, when, when I was a child, my family, they were originally from India. We'd go there and we would visit them. And I like to learn all about my grandparents and my great-grandparents and, and, and how they got to where they were. And I like to learn about my family history and what villages they're from. And unfortunately, not much was known beyond my great-grandparents' generation. I didn't know too much after that. Um, and sometimes, because of that, I would have this identity crisis. Not a spiritual identity crisis, but like a physical one, because I was like, oh, I want to know where I'm from, where my, where my, uh, where my ancestry is from. And anyway, so, so one day, my wife, Jody, she got me one of those Ancestry.com DNA tests, right? How many of you have done this? Ancestry.com or 23andMe, one of those things. And, and you get this kit in the mail, and what you do is you, you swab your mouth and put it in the test tube, and you send it in, and it processes your DNA along with their, uh, against their database that they have there. And they process it, and they give you this, send you this report where you can log online, and you could see where you're from and what ethnicities and places in the world. And, and sometimes it even shows you like what people that you might even be related to that you see there. And you know, I'm sure it's one of those things where, like, if I was ever walking by a, a crime scene and one of my hairs fell off and, and landed there, they'd be able to find it and, and, and figure out, oh, that belongs to Jeremy Matthews. Uh, he's, he's a suspect. Or, may, or maybe one of, it would be more of like a science fiction movie where they make a clone of me or something, right? And uh, 30 years from now, when I'm retired down in the beach, I'll, I'll, I'll hear a knock on my door, and I'll open the door, and there'll be a young man They'll show up at the door and be like, Dad? <laughs> they made me in a laboratory. I, I didn't know that you existed, but I know that you're alive. I need money for college. Uh, you know, or, you know or, or something like that. But it's really actually fascinating when you're into learning about your family history. And I thought, wow, maybe there will be something surprising about my origins that I find out. So I sent this test out. And I was waiting to get the results. I couldn't wait to get the results to, you know, to see where I was from. And when I finally received it and I logged in, to my surprise, there were no surprises. And it said I was 100% from India, 70% from the north, 30% from the south. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's cool because I'm actually from the south, but it says I'm mostly from the north. And I'm fine with that, but the level of detail was lacking. And if you are someone of like European descent, the sampling size of the participants are so much greater because these are American companies. So you'll be able to see, like, say you're from Scotland, it might show you like what town or village you, you, know, you were from in Scotland. But it's actually very fascinating how God designed DNA. DNA is the programming language 
that programs us. Every cell in our body carries our complete DNA, the ge genetic material that, that makes our molecules and develops all the proteins that, that, that make us. It is our source code. The DNA provides instructions for gene expression. We are in a sermon series right now on the core values called DNA, knowing who you are. And we've been learning about the DNA of who we are as believers. When we accept Christ, we have been spiritually regenerated, and we now have new life, a new spirit that is in us. And it's now that we have this new DNA, it's time for us to step up and to embrace it and to live it out. And today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at our next core value in the CNMA, one of our core values of knowing God's word. And the value is this, and, knowing God, and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. Just like DNA, God's word provides us the source code of, how, of instructions of how we are to live and how we are to step out in life. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, and you'll see it on the screen. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So just to give you a little bit of background on this passage, the people of Israel had been set free from Egypt, and they were now en route to the promised land, but they had been wandering the desert for 40 years. And during that time, God had given Moses these instructions to write down in the book of the law, the book of Deuteronomy. Now, what's different at that time is that they did not have a Bible like we have right now. There was likely just one copy of this manuscript in the, in the tent of meeting. But when the people finally got to the outskirts of the promised land just before they were able to go in, Moses, their leader who had led them out of Egypt, had died. And he and everyone in his generation were we're not allowed to enter the promised land because they had disobeyed God. Then here we have Joshua, Moses' young assistant. Joshua was led with this task to lead this new generation of people into the promised land. The baton had been passed. 
You know, the name Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew is the same name as this name Joshua, which means God saves. Joshua was to bring the people of Israel into the promised land physically, while also Jesus, we know later, Jesus brought the people and us into the presence of God spiritually. God told Joshua that wherever you set your foot will be the land I have given you. But this was not an easy task. This land was filled with foreigners, was filled with Canaanites. So now Joshua, hearing this, he must have felt afraid. He must have felt alone, hearing of this huge task. His mentor was gone, and this was just the last step that was left. And he must have asked himself the question, what do I do? What do I do? Furthermore, the people of Israel, they were facing this identity crisis, not knowing their identity, not knowing what their, who their DNA was all about because they relied on this leader, Moses, who claimed to hear from God, and now that leader was dead. Joshua needed a word. And thankfully, today... We have God's word, right? We have God's word right in our hands or right in our devices. So what's so significant about this? What's so significant about the word of God? Well, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is the inspired word of God. And and if you ever wondered what the word Bible means, it just means book. It's a book through which all other books are are modeled after. This book, this this book is actually a story, and it has the story of, of the good news from the very beginning. It talks about four things. First, how God created the world, how sin entered the world, how Jesus came to redeem the world, and four, how we, the church, get to be part of this work of recreation, empowered by the Spirit, until he comes again. That's a story of the gospel. That's a story of the Bible from start to finish. It's just one story. And what's fascinating is that there's a total of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and it was written by 40 different authors that, were, that had completely different backgrounds. Some of them were kings, some of them were fishermen, some of them were priests, some of them were government officials, some were shepherds, some were doctors. And what was fascinating is that this was written over the course of 1,500 years from people that never knew each other, from all different kinds of backgrounds, but yet it forms one concise story of the story of God and his salvation. You know, thanks to Bible translation efforts, out of the 7,000 languages that are currently spoken in the world, 1,600 of those languages have some part of the Scripture or the New Testament translated in them. And then there are more than 700 languages that have the entire translation of the Bible. Currently today, according to Wycliffe, 1.5 billion people in the world do not have a Bible in their own language. You know, we are also involved with helping that effort. 
And right now, work is being done on 2,200 languages to get the Bible translated to their languages. The Bible is, is the de facto, the, 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 the best-selling book of all time. There have been f- over 5 billion copies of, of the Bible printed. That's just an estimate. It's probably way, well, you know, way more than that. I think the next one down is like Harry Potter, which is like 500 million copies or, you know, you know, or something. But not even to mention electronically, the version Bible app in 2021 crossed over 500 million installs. 64 billion Bible chapters have been read or listened to, which is up significantly after the pandemic. No matter what the world says, the Bible is more relevant now than ever before. Amen? And we believe it. And there are countless places in the world where you cannot publish the Bible, where you cannot even bring the Bible. It's illegal to to bring a Bible or to print these words. There are places where people do not have even access to these words and this message of life. And then we have Joshua. He was at a critical moment in time and history. Why did God give Joshua these instructions of his word to follow? How did God's word lead Joshua to a place of success? And there are a couple things that we're going to learn. And the first is this. God's word provides instructions when we are alone. God's word provides instruction when we are alone. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. How many of you have ever traveled overseas to another country? Anyone? A few people? Yeah, Canada doesn't count, but anywhere else. I'm just kidding. Canada does count. Um, So if you've traveled to another country the first thing you notice is that things are different, right? They're not the same. Things are different. There's different language. There's different foods. There's different clothes, different ideas, different rules. And there are certain things that we take for granted here that we can't get in other places as Americans. Now, especially back over 25 years ago, if, if you were to go to certain places in Europe, you could not get peanut butter in the store, right? You can't get peanut butter. You can't get... Reese's Pieces. You can't get Kraft mac and cheese. You can't get sugary cereal. You definitely can't get fall, you know, the whole fall-themed flavors. There's no apple spice. There's no pumpkin spice. There are no uh, little bottles of hot sauce. And lots of places, you definitely can't get Mexican food. That's one thing we really take for granted here. When you go to some places, you can't get tacos, burritos, any of those things. You can't get instant pancake mix. There are no drive-thrus, there are no refills. I once went to um, a McDonald's in Germany, and I had to pay extra for the packet of ketchup. That's true, right? Yeah, you know that, it's true. There's no smiling to strangers sometimes. There's no air condition. And for goodness sake, when you go to France, there is no free ice or ice machine in the hotel. So if you are an American, you have to demand your rights. When you go there, go to the front desk and say, I demand ice 
because I'm an American and I don't drink drinks that are room temperature. And you know what they'll say to you? Okay, then go to America and get your eyes. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Any first world problems out there? Okay, all right. So the people of Israel, they were headed into a new land. They were headed into a new foreign land. And they themselves were a set apart people. They had unique laws, unique customs. They were God's own people. And they were headed into this land where everyone there was different from them. The people in that land, they had different gods, they had different customs, they had different values, they had a different identity. And when they would go there, there was no one there to show them God's ways. There would be no one there in that new land to point them to God, to their God, Yahweh. There were no maps, there were no programs, there were no newspapers. There would be no church or temple or tabernacle. And there would be no one there to point them in the right direction in how to live and what to do. And the only way that they could maintain their own unique identity, and the only way to do that was to follow God's instructions to Moses. You know, it's fascinating because God gave them these unique laws and instructions before they entered the land, not after, before. And why is that significant? Because they as a people were to be identified as the people of Yahweh first, and then only the people of the land second. Because usually a, a nation's identity comes from their homeland or comes from their accomplishments. And to this very day, if you have Jewish family or friends, the Jewish people have been scattered all throughout the world across many different generations, and they've been persecuted. But no matter where they are, they haven't fully assimilated into the local culture. They maintain their identity. They maintain their traditions that have come from the law of Moses, their celebrations, their clothing, you name it. And the question I have for you today is do we sometimes feel that we are living alone in a foreign land? And I know inside church, it's great. We can all come here. We all have the same beliefs. We can encourage each other. We're on the same wavelength. We give each other high fives. Maybe we have the same insider language. But once you get outside to your workplace, to your community, to your peers, you may feel alone. And when you face a situation in your life, there may be outside voices that are speaking to you that are contrary to God's voice or the voice of other believers. There may be voices. There may be strategies. There may be philosophies or instructions that are far from the Lord. So the question I have for you is who or what is informing you? Who has pre-programmed your mind? The world or the word? You see, the scriptures contain God's word for us. And when we read it, it's living, it's dynamic, it's alive. 
It's never changing. And even if we sense the Holy Spirit speaking something to us or somebody else telling something to us, we could, we could check with the word and see if that is in alignment with God's word. Someone tells you, someone tells you hey, you know, just you should get back at that person. You say, oh, you think so? Well, let me look and see what God's word says. Love your neighbor. Oh, you know what? That's not, that's not what God has for me. God's word doesn't just instruct us when we are alone. But God's word also instructs us when we face opposition. And that's her next point. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave to you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continuously. Continually meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. You see, although God was going to give them this land, it didn't mean that all the people there were going to surrender and come out with white flags. In fact, it would be the opposite. They would face opposition. They would face barriers. They would face pushback. Upon entering the land, they would have to cross the Jordan River. They didn't even have boats. They would have to face the impenetrable walls of Jericho and defeat numerous kings and armies, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Gerashims, the Amorites, the, the Jebusites. And what we realize is that the battle that Joshua was going to face was not primarily a militaristic one, but rather a spiritual one. And that's why he had to follow God's instructions in every step of the way to be successful in their mission. And there are three things that he said to do. He said, study the book. Study the book. And in those days, when they study, it meant to speak it out, to, to, to talk about it, to recite it, to share it with others, to think about it. And second, meditate on a word. So you're not just supposed to speak it out and talk about it and share about it, but two, you're supposed to meditate on it and let it resonate in your heart and resonate in your mind. And third, you're supposed to take action. You're supposed to obey it, do what it says. Speak the word, meditate on the word, and take action on the word. How many of you guys out here know karate? Anyone? Any karate masters here? A few? Zero? No one wants to admit it? Okay. All right. So, so me too. Growing up, I, never I didn't take karate lessons. I didn't do any of those things. But I grew up watching the karate kid and if you grew up in the 80s, pretty much every movie or every show had karate or kung fu or something in it. It was very violent. It's totally different than this right now. But um, so what I thought I would do is I would do, I, 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 I thought I would do what every good parent does and live vicariously through your children. So I thought it would be great to sign my son up for karate lessons. 
So I signed him up, and I was excited. I thought I would you know, go to the karate dojo, and I would just see kids doing roundhouse kicks and flying and be fighting each other, and, and I thought it was going to be so much fun to watch. But when I got there, I was mostly wrong. And I would sit there, and I would watch these classes, and I would get to understand what was really happening behind the scenes. Just like in the movie, The Karate Kid, the students had to keep practicing their katas or their routines over and over and over again. And they had to get them perfect. They had to memorize them. They had to do them perfectly before they were able to move to the next belt. And when you go to the classes, you realize that it looked absolutely nothing like what you see in the movies. It was actually a little bit boring. And just... And just like Daniel's son in in The Karate Kid, he was bored of doing wax on and wax off and cleaning the cars. One of the things that I I realized is that the the sensei, when they practice these routines, they had to say the name of the routine and, and talk out loud and do the counting. They had to learn the routine, and they had to perform it. They had to speak, learn, perform. Speak, learn, perform. Speak, learn, perform. And they would be instructed to do this again and again and again and again. And then finally, the instructor explained why. Because in a situation of unexpected conflict or self-defense, you don't even have time to think about how you're going to respond when you are struck from the front or behind or when you are pushed down. And he would demonstrate this. And they were, the kids were practicing this routine where they'd be able to, to like fall forward and spin and get up and fall backward and get up. And he would demonstrate this. And he pushed this one kid. So he pushed him down. And all of a sudden, he was able to, to roll backwards, stand right back up and get in fighting position and be ready to go. He even demonstrated when you were doing these routines and if you are looking in the wrong direction to the left or to the right and your guard is down, you could get struck. But when you train, you are poised and ready to defend. You are poised and ready to face the opposition. You see, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he was confronted, he confronted spiritual opposition by the word. He spoke it, and in those, those times, how he would have learned it, they, you know, they spoke it. He learned it, he meditated, he lived by it. And he said, people don't live by bread alone. You must not test the Lord your God. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus confronted Satan's oppositions with the same scriptures from Deuteronomy, the law that God was instructing Joshua to memorize. That brought Jesus Victory, And he was instructing Joshua to memorize these same scriptures. You know, as believers, there will be times when we face spiritual opposition. But when we are saturated by the word of God so much, and when it washes over you, you can respond without thinking. You can fight back. You can defend. You can take charge. You can turn the tide in the spiritual battle. Don't look to the left and to the right. 
But by speaking, by learning, by stepping out into action, we will have success. So God's word first provides instructions when we are alone. God's word provides instructions when we face opposition. But also third, God's word provides instruction for us to gain new ground. To gain new ground. Verse 9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many people here get stressed out by traveling? Anyone? Anyone get stressed out? Anyone like, does traveling energize you? You get excited about it, a few people? So I love traveling, and before I had kids, I had you know, more time to, to travel, and we, Jody and I, we were able to, to, to travel and things like that. But for me, anytime I travel to a foreign country, I'm like a perfectionist. Like, you don't want to travel. If you just want to relax, don't travel with me. I'm like a perfectionist traveler. I don't want to miss anything. If I'm spending all this money for a ticket, wherever I go, I want to see everything. I want to experience everything. I, don't, I want to maximize my trip. And I know that if I don't plan anything and I just get on the plane, I get there, I'll just be you know, like, and if I say, hey, I'm just going to go there, get, on, get off the plane and just go take my time and, and walk around. Maybe for some people that's relaxing. For me, it's stressful because I'll just be like running around, walking in circles, not like seeing all the important sights and all that. So what I do is I get a traveler's guidebook. How many of you guys have ever seen one of these books like uh, Lonely Planet or Rick Steves or, or Fodor? So I'd get these books and, and I would open it up and I would study them because what it would do is that it would give me all the, the, the secrets. It would give me all the tips um, and things to do. For example, like if you were to, to go to, to Florence, you know, everyone goes and stands in line and see David's Michelangelo, but it'll say like, oh no, don't go there in the morning. You're going to be wasting your whole day. Go there right before it closes. There's no line. And it'll give you different tourist hacks, where to get the best view. And using this book, I'm able to maximize my trip. I'm able to gain so much ground in all the things I want to do and see. Remember one time I, we, uh, we went, Jody and I, we, went to have, we were able to go to Switzerland with, with uh, my in-laws. And I followed this book to a T. And, and when I did that, I saw all the other American tourists, they were all stuck by the tourist trap in the souvenir shop where all the buses took them directly there. So they were all going to the tourist trap shop and they're all taking pictures behind uh, like a cardboard cutout of the Alps Mountains, right? And I see them doing that. But because I read the book, I knew that if I just took a bus two miles to the west, we were able to go to the actual Alps and take some of the most amazing pictures and one of the most breathtaking views in the world. And I was able to gain ground and maximize all these things because it was the guidebook that led me to success. You see, the people of Israel, they came to the promised land for a specific reason. They were called to come there to gain ground. They were God's chosen people, chosen to represent him to the world, to gain new ground for the kingdom on earth, to be the people through which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be born. But then when humanity fell into sin, including 
the people of Israel you know, in the wilderness. God wanted to establish a new rule. He was going to establish this, this kingdom that was there. A new way of life. A new way to live. A new way to treat others. And in that new way, you do different things. You worship the, your God alone. You do not steal. You do not commit adultery. You honor your father and mother. You do not covet your neighbor's stuff. And this was totally different from other people in the land. And they were to pass this, this story, the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there these laws and instructions and legacy to their children and to their descendants. Because they were only just one generation away from falling out from, from their identity. But when they followed God's word and gained ground, all the people from around the world would be able to look at them and point them out and say, see that nation, that group of people, they are different. They are the people of Yahweh, and they are awaiting his Messiah. As believers, there may be some areas of our life in which we have been stuck Stuck because of our past habits. Stuck because of our past sins. Because of our past wrong choices. Stuck because of our brokenness. Stuck because of our woundedness. But his word, his guidebook, provides healing and truth for your future. Amen? God has redeemed our past. And it's now up to us to make this new future. It's time for us to gain the ground back that we have lost. And he sets us up for his purpose. But in order to embark on this new mission, we need his word. We need his instruction. And the Bible tells of other narratives of other people that have walked with him. It tells about their mistakes. It tells about their pitfalls. It tells about their victories. It tells about the wisdom and teachings of Jesus and the truth. Through these Gospels, we see the story of Jesus and how he advanced the Gospel. Because the ways of the kingdom are so different from the ways of the world. The way the kingdom gains ground is different from the way the world does. In fact, in many ways, it is the opposite. In the world, we may celebrate the rich and the famous. But Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor. In the world, we may celebrate those who always want to be first and are proud, but it says God blesses those who are humble. In the world, we celebrate those who win, but it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In the world, we want to punish our enemies, but Jesus says, love your enemies. God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. God's power is displayed in our weakness. And it shows us how Christ won victory on the cross by submitting himself to God. If we want to gain ground back in our lives for God's kingdom, we need to rely on his word, on his instruction. Because his kingdom is completely different than what we think. I want to invite the band to come up, and they could come up and get prepared for the next song. And I just want you to close your eyes and think. Take time 
to saturate yourself with God's word. Maybe there's some of you here today and you are new to faith, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus and you feel that there's, there's, there's a missing piece. His word is there to instruct us. His word is there to, to guide us. His word is there to fill in so many of the gaps. This is truth to us. So while we may be confused by the voices of others, we can read and pray through the word of God to us as the Spirit speaks to us in new ways. And if you're someone here and that you are new to reading the Bible, don't be discouraged. It's never too, too late to start the habit of, of reading every day. First, start out by reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And next, for some of you, there, there are reading programs out there. One I would recommend is the app Mission 119. You could read through the whole Bible in a year. You're given different passages to read, and after you hear a commentary about what you read, there's also the YouVersion app and many different Bible plans out there. Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Provides us instructions when we are alone. Provides us instructions when we face opposition. And provides instruction to gain new ground. When you become a student of God's word and apply it into your life real time, it accelerates your growth. It accelerates your spiritual growth and keeps you focused on your identity and mission for Christ despite the other lies and voices that are around you. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, let us hide his word in our hearts. Plant family now more than ever. Let us hide his word in our hearts so that we could face everything that's out there, so that we could make his kingdom known, and so that we can bring his truth. So as we meditate on that, let us worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.